I'm Scott Prather coming at you on a Monday. Here, great Scott show on ESPN 1420. What a weekend. The Olympics are officially in the books. Next summer Olympics, only three years away. Paris, right? The Hall of Fame, it was about as as big a Hall of Fame weekend as you could ever have in pro football because you had the 2020 inductions on Saturday night, the 2021 inductions last night. Some memorable speeches. We're going to listen to uh, some of that this hour. We lost an absolute legend in the game of football over the weekend. Michael Thomas uh, breaks his silence on social media for the first time in two months. And, oh, boy. Ha. Uh, let's just say it'll have Saints. Fit. Yeah. Man. Brad Topham will join me at eight for a little while on the phone lines. Talk a little baseball. My favorite team's owner is just tweeting things out about optimism and positivity. And, you know, it's a tough thing to do whenever the Mets are um, – in the midst of just imploding. UL football camp continues. The Pelicans continue to do nothing except maybe get pop for tampering, which is kind of ridiculous. ESPN 1420. Happy Monday, everybody. So let's start with the old Michael Thomas. When Nick Underhill released an article week before last about Michael Thomas dealing with an injury, asking if he could get a second opinion, to which the team said, sure, and if the second, you know, we think you should get surgery on the ankle, our team doctors do, second opinion, go ahead if you want to get one, and then once you try to rehab it and get that second opinion, let us know what that doctor says so we can make a decision, you know, or we know what your decision is. Well, Thomas reportedly just maybe didn't get the second opinion, didn't return any of the phone calls put into him. Jeff Duncan released an article this weekend. And when Duncan is, whether it's for... The Advocates or uh, currently it's what the Times Picune and NOLA.com and he was with The Athletic for a little while. Like regardless of, of what it is, like he if, if Duncan has a like in-depth story of something happening behind the scenes, the team's leaking it to him because they know he's just going to go hard. He's going to go hard at the player that the team wants to get this information out about. Um, you know, and and essentially he just pointed out something that, that I, I said last week. I remember talking to James Butler about it. I'm like, if, if you think, if anyone thinks that the Saints didn't try to reach out to Thomas to ask him, like, what's going on here, you're foolish. Of course they, they – it's not like – they just trusted him to do everything and didn't follow up. And apparently, that's what Jeff Duncan confirmed. So back in March, Thomas took the conservative approach to bypass surgery. Saints said, that's fine. Why don't you do the rehab plan, hit some benchmarks, and then um, you know, get a second opinion, and we'll see what happens. Thomas lives in California in the offseason. And Thomas, according to Duncan, just decided he didn't want to call back 
Sean Payton. He didn't want to call back the Saints trainer, Bo Lowry, who's no longer the Saints trainer, by the way. Didn't want to call back wide receivers coach Curtis Johnson. He comes back to the team in June. His ankle is not right at all, and now he's forced to undergo surgery. 10 to 12 re- rehabilitation, going to miss the start of the season, and now you look at the Saints receiving core and you're like, oh, okay. No disrespect to Marquez Callaway. I love what I'm hearing. I love what I'm reading. I love that he was in a UDFA that found his way into the field last year. It did impressive things and wants to be the guy. When a UDFA from two years ago is supposed to be your number one receiver, eh. No, no, stop, guys. Spare me the 2006 nostalgia of Marcus Colston. I hope he can recreate something like that, but let's get back to the matter at hand. Thomas is a guy in a $125 million contract that's currently not playing, wasn't returning calls, and whether he was being negligent or... Just, I don't know. I mean, whatever his reason is. Just to not return a call, something's bad there. Which tells me that there was a lot leading up to this moment. What has happened prior to all of this? Peyton said last week, Sean Peyton, when asked about Michael Thomas, said, look, it's disappointing. We would have liked him to have happened the surgery to happen earlier rather than later, and quite honestly, it should have. I mean, look, Peyton is going to be more patient with a player that is of Michael Thomas's caliber than he will of, you know, Chris Hogan. As much as we all love to say, look, thing that's great about the Saints is it doesn't matter where you were drafted. If you're the best guy that could play, they're going to play you. Yeah, that's cool. That's the way it should be. Doesn't mean the better players aren't going to have – it doesn't necessarily equal everyone's created equal because that's just not true. When Jimmy Johnson, Hall of Famer, when Jimmy Johnson got the of the Miami Dolphins back in the 90s, he was talking to the team. He looked at Dan Marino. He's like, look, Dan, you fall asleep in a film study. I'm going to wake you up. And he looked at a backup cornerback. He said, hey, you fall asleep in this film study. I'm going to cut your ass. Point being, not all players are going to be treated equal. Not all players are Michael Thomas. But, man. How often do you see this kind of disarray within the Saints organization between a key player and the team? Now, having said that, let's look at the flip side of this. What exactly did Michael Thomas tweet this morning? He tweeted, They tried to damage your reputation. You saved theirs by not telling your side of the story. As a listener, uh, David points out and tweeted at me, yeah, but are we supposed to take this seriously when it's written in Comic Sans? They try to damage your reputation. You save theirs by not telling your side of the story. Okay. All right. Your side of the story, whatever it is. I will not just dismiss this part. 
Because you could be sitting there saying, it doesn't matter what his side of the story is. Regardless of what his side of the story is, he, you know, you'd still like to still like him to not ghost his superiors. But I have interviewed former players on this show. Former players that weren't on the kind of contract Michael Thomas has, but former players that were very important on the New Orleans Saints roster. Players that were very open with me. And if you ever want to go back and listen, Delvin Bro, Pierre Thomas. Two separate interviews, two separate timelines, about five years apart. Similar things. Team misdiagnoses an injury. Injury gets much worse. Ends up costing a player either A, their career in the case of Bro, or B, in the case of Thomas, millions of dollars before they end up hitting the free agency market, and now they're not able to play because guess what? They're injured. They're messed up. They're not, and, and Thomas was sent out on the practice field, forced out there by Sean Payton, Pierre Thomas, when he could barely walk, made one cut, ankle gave out on him, Back off the field. Delvin Bro, as he told me on this show about a year and a half ago, that it got to a point where he got in a fist fight with his head coach. Everyone wonders where you know, the Saints never brought Bro back. He had had a great season the year before. Well, they also had him out there practicing on a broken leg. Now, in regards to Michael Thomas... The story has consistently been last year that he had an injury that likely needed surgery, but he wanted to he he wanted to put it off as long as he could because he wanted to try to come back during the season and win one with Drew Brees. Get to the Super Bowl. Help send him off into the sunset. Accomplish big things. Well, it was a whole lot. I mean, Thomas didn't have a, a, a touchdown in the regular season last year. By the time he was ready to come back from injury, he then got suspended because he sucker punched C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Then by the time he finally got back onto the field, Breeze was hurt, take some hills out there slinging it. Then Thomas got hurt again. Then he was finally back into the lineup in a playoff win against the Bears and was dropping passes in the playoff loss to the Bucks. Then the offseason starts, and the usually quiet in front of a microphone, Michael Thomas, but very, very chirpy with his thumbs when it comes to social media, was silent on social media. Nothing. It's like, what's going on? Underhill's story comes out, then Duncan's this weekend, and now Thomas is upset. They try to damage your reputation. You saved theirs by not telling your side of the story. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Saints fans, I'm sure everyone will be completely rational about this. Just perfect timing, right? Not, it's not like the Saints have had the best offseason in the world. It's not like they're in a major state of transition 
it's not like their wide receiving core is thinner than Brandon Ingram. I mean, come on. Couldn't come at a worse time. I have been given a hard time by some of you guys, I love you all, by by a number of listeners about being pessimistic, about just assuming the worst, about not being more optimistic about the Saints. As if you all think I'm somehow rooting against it or one thing. I don't want I don't like any of this stuff. Don't sit here and ignore it and act like it's not gonna matter. It does matter. I mean, we don't even know if Thomas is going to play for the Saints again. Who knows what happens next? Who knows? And no, it's not like they can just cut him right now this year. They can't. From a cap standpoint, it can't happen. Oh, you trade him. Yeah, right now dealing with an injury and that contract and what's happening away from the field. Yeah. Don't think that's happening either. Now, next offseason, it might be a little different. It's not, listen, it's not out of the ordinary for players to rehab away from the team and share updates about their progress. Look, Quan Alexander, example A. Maybe you missed some calls. But you're a franchise player, you're supposed to be the guy on the offense, and you don't even return a phone call? On an assignment you didn't finish? Cut him, Scott. Get retrade him. All right. Well, doing so would um, cost the Saints an extra $22.5 million on top of what he's already being paid. Now a move after June 1st, 2022. Next offseason, save him 15.7 mil. Now, do they mend fences? Does he come back? Do they clear the air? Does he get there after the bye week and help them turn things around? I suppose if you want to be extremely optimistic, yes. But like long term, you think you think this is always just going to be smooth sailing? I mean, Michael Thomas and his relationship with the Saints. I won't say since getting the big contract. Everyone's like, oh, you got the big contract this time? You got the big contract. Set an all-time NFL record on like 170, 149 catches on what, 176 targets? It's insane how great of a season that was. Offensive player of the year that year. But since then, things have gone down. If you want to be the eternal optimist, if you want to sugarcoat this, if you want to say it's not a big deal, if you want to keep your head in the sand and act like all is well in Saints land, go right ahead. All is not well right now, guys. You watch the speeches this weekend at the Hall of Fame. And I think two years ago when someone would pose the question, hey, who on the current Saints roster might be up there one day? A lot of folks would say Michael Thomas. Why? Because, hell, 
Guy was about to enter the prime of his career and was breaking all-time NFL records. He currently holds 25 NFL records. Things were just looking up, only getting better. Yeah, he'll get that gold jacket one day. No. Not with the way the last season has gone. Not with the way the last year has gone. The last year has been, um, last year and a half. It's been anything but smooth sailing. 269-1077. Phone lines are open for you this morning. I'm Scott Prather. It's the Great Scott Show. Listen to ESPN 1420 live on your desktop or mobile device via our mobile app and at Connected Cars and on smart speakers. That is brought to you by Champagne's Market and the Oil Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. Talking about Champagne's getting me hungry. Getting me hungry to start off the week. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Eat Lafayette, man. Right? It's still happening. Eat Lafayette 2021. Over 100 of Acadia and his incredible locally owned restaurants. Eat at one, and when you do, you win a chance, or you get a chance. You enter for a chance to win airfare and a three-night getaway to Nashville. You can see participating restaurants over at LafayetteTravel.com. You can go to LafayetteTravel.com slash eat. Sign up for your Eat Lafayette digital passport. Get it. Use it when you sign into one of the participating restaurants, and boom, just like that, you're entered to win. You can read more over at ESPN1420.com. Peyton Manning gives his speech, opens up with jokes, gets emotional talking about his family, and ends it with inspiration. Cultivating, calling for a cultivation of all of us to help grow the game that we all love, the game of football. You're going to hear that next. Plus, Aaron Rodgers, one of his ex-teammates, says, you know what, in 2022, he's going to be playing in New Orleans. Say what now? Give you the details on that. Plus, Lafayette Little League, going back to Williamsport. It's the great Scott show, guys. Don't go anywhere. I'm Scott Prather. We'll be right back right after this on ESPN 1420. Kicking lyrics right to ESPN1420.com and the ESPN 1420 app. ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com and the ESPN 1420 app. You can tweet the show at ESPN1420. You can also email me, scott at ESPN1420.com. Got a message during the break from Clark, one of our listeners. Scott, you are underplaying the fact that the Saints have one of the best reputations in the league for players. Look at what Janoris Jenkins said about them on a podcast last month and what other players have said in the past. Not underplaying it, Clark, um, in my opinion. Like, you're right. I mean, if, if I don't know if this will change your mind. The Saints do have a great reputation around the league in terms of being a player-friendly organization. Um, 
And and Janoris Jenkins did call the Saints hands down the best best organization he's ever played for in his career. Gave a lot of reasons why. Zach Streif's often talked about how honest Sean Payton is with his players. Um, how they treat them all like adults, and you know they've helped out players with contracts like Emmanuel Sanders, making sure he got the catch and the bonus like Marshawn Lattimore when they reworked his deal last offseason. So. He could save millions of dollars based on him likely going to have to serve a few suspensions and lose a few game checks this year. But, like, that that can simultaneously be accurate, and we can also point out all of the issues that the Saints have had in terms of their medical staff over the years. Yeah, but they've made changes. Yes, they've made changes, and things have still gone wrong. I mean, have you have you read about all of the injuries Drew Brees was allegedly playing with last year? It wasn't just... Half of his rib cage being broken. Now, is that them just trying to keep it quiet, or is that just them not diagnosing everything? Because the reports were, yeah, he probably had a few busted ribs before that injury took place, but I happen to miss it. They have been issues in terms of the medical staff. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I listen, I'm not trying to take up for Michael Thomas. I think. Thomas is, um, I don't know. He's a, he, he's a, he's a tough nut to crack. And you talk to folks that cover this team on a daily basis. They've said it in the past. It's not new. They said, yeah, he, he, I, like I've, I've always said, I think he's insecure and people disagree. I think he's extremely insecure. What have I always said? I feel like he's Christian Bale in terms of like football players, right? The metaphor for Bale is hey, he's one of Hollywood's best leading men. He's an incredible actor, an Oscar winner. And yet you hear stories about him on the set, and he can at times kind of lose his mind, go crazy, tee off on people on the set, fellow actors, the crew, directors, producers, whatever. And that intensity that drives him is also what makes him a great actor. So I guess you got to kind of take it. The difference is by the time a movie reaches the screen, you're not seeing all this drama. The set of a movie is not covered in the media day to day the way a football team is. I'm not trying to underplay what the Saints have done. Believe me. I wrote the article about Janoris Jenkins when it came out, got the clip, everything on our website, when he said they were hands down the best organization he'd ever played for. And it's it's great to hear things like that if you've been a longtime Saints fan and remember when they were one of the bottom feeders and jokes of the NFL. But let's 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 not use that as a reason to just overlook their history of Injury misdiagnoses, drama, and everything else. And simply saying that doesn't mean I'm exonerating Michael Thomas. Because I'm not. Bottom of the hour. Appreciate the email, Clark. And I'm 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 glad you sent it. You know, giving more perspective on the situation. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. And I've seen stuff out there that, like, this exact quote has been said maybe by, like, Steve Harvey and others. 
<sighs> Again, if you're curious in terms of the salary, if the Saints were to cut or trade Thomas this year, it would cost them an additional $22.5 million on top of what they're already what he's already being paid. You make a move next offseason, it saves him 15.7. Feels like this is where it's heading, doesn't it? Which is tough because I would say following the 2018 season, following the 2019 season, you were probably saying to yourself, man, like, this guy, this guy's going to be getting a gold jacket in, in Canton one day. Right? Guys got their gold jackets this weekend, including Louisiana-born Peyton Manning, another Louisiana-born player as well, and Alan Fanica. Both, I thought, gave great speeches. But Peyton, it lived up to the hype. Here's some more from uh, NFL.com, Peyton Manning, Hall of Fame speech. Thank you very much. Thank y'all very much. When I was playing for the Colts, there were just a few seconds on the play clock, and we needed the ball snapped quickly. I would yell, hurry, hurry, to my center, Jeff Saturday, and he would immediately snap me the ball. Well, I got to tell you. Hurry, hurry, hurry. There you go. Tonight's speech is an all-time hurry, hurry. The 2021 induction class wants to thank those previous inductees who gave long-winded acceptance speeches, forcing us to have a whopping six minutes to recap our football careers. I want to give a special thanks to my old rival, Ray Lewis, for being here tonight. Ray just finished giving his speech that he started in 2018. Next year, accepted speech drink to four minutes. And speaking of rivals, my good friend Tom Brady is here tonight. By the time he is inducted, I love it. The, the Manning fans in the house booing Brady as he turns around, and looks at him, and says, "What did I do wrong? I'm not the bad guy." See, football is really fun most of the time. By the, by the time Tom Brady is inducted in his first year of eligibility in the year 2035, he'll only have time to post his acceptance speech on his Instagram account. The legendary John Madden says that the Hall of Fame bus whisper to each other at night. And it's actually true. My son Marshall and I have heard it. But I also think that they run plays at night. They scrimmage. They throw a little seven-on-seven. Seven. The other night I had a dream that I was in one of those scrimmages. The other team's coaches were Vince Lombardi and Paul Brown. My coaches, Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson. That's right, a cowboy and a Steeler working together only in Canton, Ohio. We were on the 50-yard line with only three seconds left in the game. Coach Cower called a running play. I said, Coach, I'm going to have to audible. Omaha. I called, a ba- I called a pass play. My bus faked a handoff to Barry Sanders. I threw a 20-yard break-in route to Michael Irvin right as Deacon Jones and Ray Nitschke hit me at the same time. 
Irvin, as he was getting tackled by Ronnie Lott, then lateraled to Steve Largent, who was in a foot race down the sideline with Daryl Green and Lim Barney. The savvy Largent, knowing he couldn't win a foot race with Daryl Green, then lateral back to Lance Allworth, who dove into the end zone for the game-winning score. Now yesterday, it was just a dream, but tonight, it's reality. Anyway, I just think it's pretty cool to say you're on the same team as Johnny Unitas and slinging Sammy Ball. I am honored to be a member of this elite class and a teammate of Drew's, Coach Floors, John, Calvin, Allen, and Charles. To be inducted on the same weekend with one of my favorite teammates of all time, Edger and James, is a Excuse thrill. Excuse me. I got your heat back on. Give me. ESP20.com. Great stuff from Peyton Manning. Now, some of you might have been surprised in saying, like, why um, headline it? Why, why, did, well, why didn't he go last? And then you hear Charles Woodson's speech, you're like, okay, that's why. If you miss Woodson's speech, tremendous stuff. Here's more from Peyton Manning. Reunited with Edrin, my old teammates, the great Marvin Harrison, Marshall Falk. Our Colts architect, Bill Polian, our Colts leader, Tony Dungy, is really something special. And I'm proud to be on the same team again with John Elway and the joint fellow Denver Bronco alums, Steve Atwater and John Lynch in this weekend's induction class. Lemu, let's get out. ESPN1420.com. More from Peyton Manning. You know, he spends some time, you know, opening up with the jokes honoring his teammates a little bit, and um, eventually he started thanking his family, including his dad. That's whenever they had to break out a couple tissues. Colts and Broncos in here, I'm just saying. We have inherited the history of this sport, even helped create it, but our responsibility cannot stop there. If we simply relive history and don't ignite the future of the sport, then we're not doing football justice. Each of us has deep roots in this game. Football even helped us carve out a place to belong. In my youth in New Orleans and in Newman School, football carved out a place for my favorite quarterback, my hero, my role model, my dad, Archie Manning, to pass on something he loved to me. <clears throat> dad, there's no one I would rather have or be more appropriate than you to welcome me to this stage. My dad enabled me to play balls with my brother, Cooper and Eli, the two best brothers a guy could ask for. And it gave my mom plenty of reasons to both beef me up and patch me up. You talk about rocking out with the most loving mother who could also break down a cover two defense as well as any NFL quarterback. In college, at my beloved alma mater, the University of Tennessee, Football gave me a platform to help me grow as a man and refine my skills. Entering the NFL, the game gave me a profession where I could measure myself against the very best and live camaraderie at its deepest level. I always thrived on being coached, and I learned from some of the very best coaches in the business, many of whom are here tonight. Sadly, we have lost two special coaches to me this year the great Howard Mudd, and my good friend Greg Knapp. May they both rest in peace. 
After my playing career, I hung a whistle around my neck, and I've coached my son's flag football team for the past two years. Now, I'm not sure I'm a very good coach, but hopefully that role will enable me to make a hands-on contribution to the future of our sport. Over the years, I've had the most unbelievable support from family, friends, fans, coaches, teammates, and support staffs. And I just can't say thank you enough to all of you that have come here tonight to help me celebrate. To Jim Arcee and the Indianapolis Colts organization, my gratitude is off the charts. You drafted me in 1998, and it was a joy and a privilege to represent the Horseshoe. And to Pat Bolin, the Bolin family, and the Denver Broncos organization, you took a chance on me at a crucial moment in my career, and I will never forget it. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. When I officially retired from football five years ago, whether in person or in a handwritten letter, I said all the thank yous that we unfortunately don't have time to repeat tonight. But trust me, they are as heartfelt now as they were then. To my wife, Ashley, there are no right words to express how grateful I am for you. Thank you for your unstoppable love and support. And to our children, Marshall and Mosley, you came into the world at the exact time that I needed you most. The two of you have already given your mother and me a grace that we could ever leave you. If football has become my home, the people of the great states of Louisiana, Tennessee, Indiana, and Colorado have become my extended family. And as everyone knows, you can never really leave family behind. I never expected to stand on this stage tonight. If it weren't for those busts and the memories of forever loyal fans, tonight's details would blur and cheers would fade. However, our hearts will cradle the memories forever. Throughout our lives as players, coaches, staffs, and fans, we've become essential to the sports landscape. I don't know about you, but I'm not done with this game. I never will be. I'm committed to ensuring its future, and I hope you will join me in that commitment. As members of this honored class, we have a responsibility to make our game stronger, from the corner playground to the most celebrated stadiums. During the past few years, the game of football has been challenged by an explosion of sports and entertainment options, safety concerns, erupting social justice issues, and a worldwide pandemic. Displaced fans have taken on an entirely new meaning as our stadiums have been shut down and fans shut out. We certainly shouldn't walk away now. When we leave this stage tonight, it is no longer about us. It is about cultivating the game that has given so much to us. It's about nurturing football to live and thrive another day, another year, decade, and another generation. It's about guaranteeing that kids everywhere can learn, bond, grow, and have fun with every flag pulled, every tackle made, every pass thrown, every run, block, sack, and touchdown scored. The audience here tonight is made up of die-hard fans who feel football deep in your bones. Now, we may have ignited the fire, but you, you have fanned the flames. Inevitably, those flames will be whipped by the winds of change, but they don't need to smolder. The future of this game is ours to shape. We just need to take tomorrow on our shoulders as readily as we donned up before each game. Let this moment become a cherished memory. And then remember, a legacy is only worthwhile when there is a future to fuel. God bless you, and God bless football. Peyton Manning, Hall of Fame speech there, good stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think he crunched like a 15-minute a speech into about nine and a half minutes.
Jay email says, I heard his speech was sponsored by Lipton. Well, Lipton is the official iced tea sponsor of the NFL. 42 after the hour of 7 o'clock. We'll see if we have time in the uh, 8 o'clock hour to play some of Charles Woodson's speech. It was awesome. Listen to Alan Fanica's as well. I, it's always th- that moment when they reveal the bust. It's like, yeah, what's, what is their face going to look like? Like, first of all, they saved a little material on Peyton Manning's bust because that forehead is not nearly big enough on the bust. Like, they helped him out there. And I'm speaking as somebody that has a giant forehead. I mean, like Peyton Manning, I have a five head. That's what we call it. And that bust, it's like, that's 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 not his forehead. That's not it. And it needed to have, like, the little red mark, too, that, like, every time Peyton would take his helmet off, it should be the big red mark. Peyton said his trainers told him that. They're like, well, if, it, if, if you have the red mark, it means the helmet's on the right way. Sounds like they were just messing with him. Good stuff, though. Hall of Fame's awesome, man. Pro Football Hall of Fame. I enjoy the speeches. You know, somebody suggested, uh, or somebody asked a question. I think Rod Walker covers the Saints on uh, Fernola.com. He posed a question, like, who of the current Saints, or, or, or any Saint for that matter, whether it be guys playing or, or currently or that already played, might be able to get into Canton one day other than Drew Brees. I don't think Pat Swilling will ever get in, um, even though he might. I mean, he's got some stats that say, yeah, he should at least be considered. It's, I think I think Sam Mills should absolutely get in, posthumously. Um, on the team right now, like I said, I mean, I think a year ago, folks might have said Michael Thomas, and with these latest, the way the last year's unfolded, maybe not anymore. Alvin Kamara, maybe Ryan Ramchek. I think Jari Evans. That's one I've been on for a while. He'll be on the ballot um, next year for the first time. Six-time AP All-Pro. You see a guy like Fanica get in. It did. He didn't get in on the first ballot. But when you're as great an interior defense, uh, an interior offensive lineman as those two guys were, guys that are on all-decade teams, eventually Fanica got in, and he deserved to get in. To me, the answer is Jari Evans. You want to look at current Saints? Okay, you don't know how things are going to play out. Camaro, Ryan Ramchick, they still got a long way to go, long career in front of them. Evans' career is done, and I think it is worthy of the Hall of Fame. ESPN 1420. Don't go anywhere. Great Scott show. Going to continue in a minute. We've covered Michael Thomas, a little bit of the Hall of Fame. An absolute legend. In the sport of football, in the sport of college football, passed away over the weekend. I am not using the word legend lightly here. The man lived a life and really felt like a character out of a out of a novel, out of an old movie. But he was real life, and. Uh, when he got somewhere, the team wasn't good, and when he was there for a long time, they were one of the best. More on the great Bobby Bowden when we come back. It's the great Scott Show, the great sports callers, open think tank, don't go anywhere.
Welcome back into the Great Scott Show on a Monday morning. Brad Topham going to join me uh, for a little while around 8. Get his thoughts on the Michael Thomas situation and uh, Major League Baseball. Bobby Bowden. There is no denying an absolute legend of the game of college football. Bobby Bowden, who had one losing season at Florida State. By the way, it was his in there in 1976. Bobby Bowden, who, before he got to Florida State, guess what? They weren't a football school. They weren't good at football. He got there in 76. They went 5-6. and six. He never had a losing season again. Bobby Bowden, who had a stretch at FSU where they had 14. 15 straight years of 10 or more wins and never ranked out of side of the top five. And during that stretch, won 11 bowl games, including two national championships. Bobby Bowden, whose sons went on to have a lot of success coaching in college football. Bobby Bowden, simply an in character, an incredible, just... His presence, again, it feels like he came out of a book. He didn't even feel real sometimes, and yet he was as real as it gets. Passed away at the age of 91. Undeniably, one of the biggest legends in the history of the great sport of college football. Put respect on his name. Pay respects to the man. Bobby Bowden. Rest in peace. ESPN 1420.com. Phone lines open at 269-1077-269-1077. It's been a busy Monday. Let's get to the phone lines. Josh is on line one. Good morning. Good morning, man. Uh, yeah, I was, I, I was not even thinking about Bobby Bowden. <laughs> this morning until you mentioned it, but it's, it's pretty intense and, and, and crazy how many players I grew up watching in the late 90s and early 2000s that were molded by that man. Like, that man, I mean, that man's all over the NFL as well as college football, so, you know, and, and players to come, so I think it's it says a lot about who he was a man, because, you know, he's one of those guys that you don't even have to know a whole lot about college football to know who he was. You know, he was almost like Saban-like. You know, everybody knew who Bowden was. You know, one hundred percent. The real reason, yeah. Well, the reason the reason why I called actually, though, on top of that was, um, you know, I was listening to you talk about Saints players that might get into the Hall of Fame, and I wanted to know, do you think that eventually Sam Mills is going to make it? Uh, he better. He better. It I mean, it's like the, he's getting closer and closer. He, he, he should have been in a long time ago. The guy was one of the best, and it's the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So it's not just that he was uh, an AP All-Pro multiple times and a five-time Pro Bowler and did amazing things for two different franchises. And, you know, it, it's... USFL. Yeah, I mean, he was a two-time USFL champion. He's on the all-time team. He was, uh, you know, a multi-time all-USFL player. So when that league was going on, he was doing incredible things. He just he got overlooked because he was short. He got overlooked by college scouts. He got overlooked by NFL scouts. And 
Um, the guy's one of the best to play the game. He was the anchor of the best linebacking core ever. The guy, the guy, yeah. need, the guy's. The, it's it's past it's past time. Okay, the guy needs to be in the Hall of Fame, and the guys on the committee that that talk about it each year, they need to put him in. Yeah. Uh, I, I, what about what about two more players? I've I've read an article recently about this that they think that there's a shot for these two players to get in, and I wanted to see what you thought. What about uh, Darren Sproles and Jimmy Graham? No. No. You don't think Jimmy got a shot with his no. stats? No, you know, it's it's not just stats. It's like longevity. I mean, Sproles has a better shot than Graham just from a special team standpoint, but I don't know that the numbers – the fact that he's on an all-decades team helps. Um, overall total yards helps. More special teams players getting in at times. I mean, he has, he has the record for most all-purpose yards in a season, but, like, there also has to be, like, a longevity of, like, greatness. You know what I'm saying? No, I got you. Like Grant, oh, Graham, yeah. you make, Graham you make, certainly doesn't have the longevity of like consistently being, you know, one of like top he, tight end. Yeah, he just he doesn't. You know, I mean, there was a stretch knows, there he, where he, he was awesome, but it didn't it didn't hold up. Yeah, he knows dive for sure. Um, you know, me and a buddy were talking about this the other day. We were talking about who made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and noticing how like. The Beatles made it, but then John Lennon made it by himself. Paul McCartney made it by itself. Ringo Starr made it by themselves. Wouldn't it be kind of cool if the NFL Hall of Fame had not just individual players, but like the Steel Curtain made it, the Dome Patrol made it? Like they had like a, like you know, like a little thing in the Hall of Fame for those guys, things like that. Because to me, people who go there should know about the Dome Patrol. You know, people should be able to see that. I think that would be special. But anyway, man, I'll hang up and listen. Appreciate it. It's an interesting thought. I mean, I maybe I'm too traditional. I, it feels more like gimmicky to me, like WWE kind of putting in like units or those that had cool nicknames. Because then you're you're gonna get some players in that like eh. I'm good with putting like that kind of thing in team hall of fame. You could read about the Dome Patrol when you go see Ricky Jackson's locker in Canton. Um, you know, you can read about the Steel Curtain when you go to Mel Blunt's locker. I don't know that you need to like have a whole unit in there and just have all these guys on stage at once doing something. It's cool. I mean, I I just uh, I don't like comparing the. Every Hall of Fame is different. Rock and roll, pro basketball, pro football, they all they all have different criteria. Baseball's Hall of Fame. They're all viewed a little different, but I I'm I'm kinda I'm I'm good with just keeping it at single players. Sam Mills should be in, should have already been in. It's overdue. And yes, he'll be in posthumously at some point, but he one hundred percent needs to be in. Appreciate the call, Josh. Always enjoy your perspective and the conversation. Matt Topham's going to join me in a couple of minutes. We'll uh, circle back to this Michael Thomas situation. Hit on Major League Baseball in uh, UL and LSU fall camp a little bit as well. Open phone lines after that. Don't go anywhere. It's the Great Scott Show coming at you on a busy, busy Monday. It's ESPN1420.com.
everybody. Welcome into the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. Fast-paced hour number one. But I'll say it was awesome. Kind of like Peyton Manning's Hall of Fame speech, right? Joining me now for a little bit is host the Tops Take, color analyst for Rage Cajun Baseball, but a former coach, a guy that knows and loves all. That would be Mr. Brad Topham, who's probably um, just beginning his his day, and he's preparing to make a whole lot of food, owner of the Jambalaya Shop. Good morning, Top. What's happening? Oh, did you hit it right on the nose? I'm already getting my chicken and sausage ready, my friend. Well, I, I let's let's start let's start with Michael Thomas because I opened up the show sure. with it, and it's time to circle back. He um, he took to social media where in the past he's been very active, but over the last few months has been completely silent, hadn't said anything, and now he's uh, just letting the world know that you know what, guys, I got I got a story to tell. The uh, the tweet. And the Instagram post was, they try to damage your reputation. You save theirs by not telling your side of the story. For context, Jeff Duncan dropped an article this weekend over uh, for the Times-Picayune that highlighted the fact that Michael Thomas just ghosted Sean Payton, Curtis Johnson, and the former Saints trainer uh, when they were trying to get in touch with them about Hey, did you get that second opinion from your doctor after you said that you were going to rehab on your own to see if you could avoid surgery? He didn't. And uh, shows up in June, needs surgery, and now he's not going to be ready for the season opener. So that's, that's I guess, the Saints side of the story. Uh, Thomas apparently thinks he's got a side of the story or says he has a side of the story. What, what do you what do you make of this whole situation? And is is Michael Thomas played his last down for the Saints? Is that is that a thing that's already happened? Well, a couple things. Number one, no, he has not played his last down, but I think he's playing his last season. There are salary cap realities that he will not he will play this season. They can't cut him. They just can't. However, I do think someone will trade for him in the offseason if the Saints will have had enough. There's some situation that we don't know about whether Michael Thomas is a diva in a very bad way, or there's some stuff showing Peyton's pull. Look, when it comes to two sides of the story, Scott, you know the reality, right? Your side, my side, and the truth. I'm sure there's something we're, that that's, we're not, we don't know. But we do also know Sean Payton is the only coach in the NFL I've seen that actually wins, that runs his mouth to other players. I kind of imagine that Sean Payton and Michael Thomas may have had a few run-ins, you know, in the past, in private, that we don't know about. But I liken this to ghosting somebody you went on a date with or somebody you, you you never called, and after a while you're like, oh, my God, it's been a week, I should have called her, and then, like, I don't know what to do, and you just do nothing until you have to do something kind of thing. That's what I think happened with Thomas. I don't know, man. It's a bad situation. It's a bad look, and it's not a good way to get new quarterbacks started. It, it feels like at some point um, something may have been misdiagnosed. That's just based on past experiences that some players have had between an, an experience that Delvin Bro opened up about and has been open about, but the first time he did it was actually with me on this show and Pierre Thomas. The only time he's opened up about it was on this show. Um, 
is, look, you, you misdiagnose an injury and you end up costing a player either a lot of money or in some cases their career. You know, Thomas has already had the big payday. But I, I see a lot of chatter online of, yeah, got his money and then just like decided he didn't care. Well, he got the five-year extension in 2019. That's when he got the $20 million signing bonus and the 60.5 mil guaranteed. And then what did he do in 2019? He went out and he set an NFL record in, you know, one less game and with a lot less targets for most catches in a single season. So I, I don't I don't I don't think this is a he got paid and then just decided he was done. This is this is completely rooted in injury. And at some point, the Saints thinking one thing, Thomas thinking another, throw in the fact that Thomas is very insecure and doesn't like when anyone questions him at all. And now you've just got this elixir, which has led to this, I'm not going to say an explosion, but something that seems to have been simmering for a while now. Yeah, look, we've seen some very bad negative examples of what I'm about to say. Guys get a chip or a certain attitude about them to drive them because of self-doubt. And there's a great example, by the way, in a positive way, in the Hall of Fame speech by Isaac Bruce. But they'll get driven by something. That was Thomas, awesome, by the way. Not, that was yeah, awesome. I'm sorry to even was. cut you off, but I, 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 so, I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to that later. I don't want to cut you okay. off. I'm sorry. Yeah, but he, um, Michael Thomas wasn't fast enough. Great route runner, all that. Keyshawn's nephew, but just not fast enough, explosive enough to be a first-round pick. And he, he, he carries that with him, and he plays with a chip. And you start to excel, and all of a sudden, you don't need that chip some guys still look for it in a way that doesn't always work. Jordan was legendary about it, alienated others, but it helped him win. I'll give you an example for Astro fans. You had a hitter that got cut because he wouldn't make an adjustment. He gets cut by the Astros, immediately goes to Detroit, and becomes an all-star in Davis, the outfielder, who's now with Boston, who's never, ever had a season with the Astros the way he had with them. Why? Because it took getting cut to change what made got him to the show. Michael Thomas's fire, it seems to me right now, he's twisting it in a way that he's looking for people that go against him. And I, I don't know, man. The only thing I can think about with all this, Scott, is, is kind of like the vaccine. He got, a, he got an opinion that said you don't need surgery, and he liked it, so he bought into it. And it's my body, and I'm not going to worry about everybody else. And it's just, I'm, again, this is just a bad situation for an NFL star he, both, both sides by the way thanks too yeah yeah like like let's let's assume for argument's sake that at some point there was some kind of misdiagnosis by the Saints staff at some point over the last year um I don't know that there was but let's just say there was it still does not in any way excuse him just ghosting his no. you know uh work superiors or if superiors or where you not want to use those that you know look his his trainer his wide receivers coach his head coach like you still need to, to you still need to talk to him and 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 you don't just ghost their calls not get the second opinion maybe he did the Saints side of the story clearly is that he didn't right uh, Nick Underhill wrote an right. article a week and a half ago that's coming from a source within the team. And then when Duncan kind of releases like a tell-all article, that's coming from the Saints. You know, if Duncan does yep. it or if Jay Glazer releases something, then that's coming straight from Sean Payton. 
So whatever it is, we can look at all the positive things some players have said about the Saints, and those are the ones that are going to draw more headlines. Janoris Jenkins in a podcast, you know, just happens to mention that the Saints are, you know, the the best organization he's played for from a business standpoint. Well, the Saints and Saints fans and bloggers, they're going to they're going to latch onto that and that's going to be blasted everywhere. Um, things that, you know, it's not like Pierre Thomas's story or Delvin Bro's story has has ever made big headlines ever. You know, I mean, and Delvin Bros wrote a book now that's an international bestseller and, and good for him, and I'm happy for him. It's really big in Canada. Some folks down here reading it, but how many in the, in the, in the like, big Saints media have talked about that or mentioned the fact that they ruined his career or that he and Sean Payton, you know, got in a fist fight? How many outside of myself have really told Pierre Thomas's story about what unfolded there? Like, those stories don't get heightened in the media or in the Saints media. When I say Saints media, I'm talking about the guys on the beat, the guys that cover it a lot. Um, you know, the story like Michael Thomas, uh, yeah, that's going to get heightened. And it's it, right now it's the Saints side of it. Will we ever hear Michael Thomas's side of it? Or when we finally do, will will Saints fans even believe it? Well, first off, I'll give you an easy way. I don't want to interrupt you. I'll give you an easy way when you talk about the ghosting. The dude who, or the chick, whoever you want to call them, that writes their name on your check, you don't get to ghost them for three months. You just don't. None of us do. None of us can ignore the person who signs our check for three months. That by itself, no matter what else happens, you're wrong for that. But here's the other thing. The guys, you know how the old thing, um, I did this with Jay, and I got to the point where, I don't say anything until someone else says it first. Assume Jay made the comment to me when I was asking him, you know, how do you determine what's on and off the record just in general? And Jay says, when you're talking to someone, the microphone is on. So basically they're talking to me until they tell me, you can tell this publicly. I don't. Look, Duncan, these guys, I'm not calling them crackpot journalists or anything, but let's be fair. If they go spill the same dirty laundry on the street from the, organizational side, maybe they don't get information anymore and they're not very good at their job. So it's fair to say that maybe there's, you know, there was whispers on the Saints end and you don't run with it because you want to make sure the Saints keep answering your phone calls. You know, the players don't normally win in these situations. And again, I'm not excusing Michael Thomas. I'm just saying that there's reason to believe why sure. people would hold out. That's right. the, that's the when, a player, when a player sports- starts opening it up, to your point, if if somebody big runs with it, the Saints could ice him out. Now it's harder for them to do their job. That's the point you're making. Yeah, and it's just so, it, to be fair, uh, again, I, we don't know. That's why I'm trying to be fair. But it doesn't matter. The dude, look, and I'll say this too, by the way, as somebody speaking from somebody from experience. Once a knife goes into your body, you are never the same. So the people that say, well, why didn't he just get his scoped and checked? For us, that sounds really simple. Say, just get it scoped. Your ankle is never the same once it's scoped. And believe me, you don't think, uh, you don't think these people will tell him, some, some people, excuse me, tell him horror stories. Oh, yeah, they were supposed to go do this, and it was never right again. So I believe some, he got an opinion that said, don't do surgery. It's not a good idea right now. And he ran with it. And Thomas... Come on, man. He's yeah, stubborn. but like uh, ESPN 1420, Brad Top, I'm host of Top's Take, visit with me for this segment. Top, you're, you're, you're not wrong, but like he, he reportedly got the blessing from Peyton and Johnson and the Saints staff 
hey, that opinion said you could try to rehab it, and then you had to get a second opinion. So he got the okay for him from them for that. It was the second opinion that, that he was supposed to get after the rehab that would determine whether he needed it that reportedly he just never got and then just ghosted the Saints. So what what happened between those two things? What happened between, cool, Mike, go back to your off-season home in California, do the rehab, we're good with that, get the second opinion, and 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 see if you can avoid surgery. But just, you know, let's let's – Let's just touch base on it again, you know, in a month or so. And then that just never happened. And he says there's more to the story. The Saints, I, I think the Duncan article doesn't happen if they don't think that's kind of the story in a nutshell. What happens next with Thomas? Does he ever open up about it? Will he? Like, he's not. Everyone's trade him. The Saints should trade him. I mean, it, it, you, you mentioned the salary part of it. Like, if if they were to cut or trade Thomas this year, it would cost them an additional twenty two and a half million on top of what he's already being paid. Like that's yeah, that's you know, I mean at this point it's like if it gets that bad then you know he comes back or he doesn't and you need to just find him. Now there is a potential out for twenty twenty two um where right. they could actually save fifteen point seven mil by just moving on from him. And so, you know, I, I I don't know, man. I I don't I don't. It does he is he even able to rehab? Is there is there a hitch in it? If he does come back, can they mend enough fences for him to just come back this season? But top, this is just the latest story in what has been a horrendous Saints offseason. And you've been you've been giving me grief by pointing out how bad the offseason's been. Where <laughs> what, where have I been wrong? What have I said that's not true? You haven't referred to the fact that we have these undrafted free agents who have a history of being good with the Saints. Come on, Scott. What, what, UDFA? You're talking about the UDFAs of this year? I'm just, in the past, the Saints have hit on guys, and you're just not giving them credit. Trey Kwan is ready to explode. Trey Kwan is, uh, is DNP right now. He did not practice because hey. he's hurt. Trey Kwan's going to have a 600 yard season. You need to back off. 600 yards. <laughs> I don't know if that's something we should celebrate, Brad. I don't know if the, I don't know if the guy that's supposed to start for you only getting six hundred yards when you got a quarterback that wants through. That's that's uh, it's setting the bar low. But you know what? Hey, he's You're on probably the field. right. He's that's, on the field. I that's win. Six hundred yards. No, look, six hundred yards is probably accurate. That's probably about what Trey Quan will get, and it'll be his best season as a pro. I like Callaway a lot. I like Marquez Callaway a lot. I just. Oh shocker! You like somebody named Callaway? He spells shocker. it. He spells spells it different than my son. But I don't. I don't think he's going to go uh-huh. out there and become an all pro. This dude. It's this has been like when was the last time the Saints had an off season this bad? Um, most of my life before Drew Brees. I mean, and there was some bad. Look, there was some bad ones in there in the mid two thousands. You know, the Galette situation wasn't. Great, you know, uh, no. Jimmy Graham one got, you know, they ended up signing him, but things got tense and he came back and they actually went to the playoffs that year and won a game. But the next year, you know, he was just sour and they eventually traded him. But like nothing compared to the amount of players they had to let go, replace, and the drama now on top of it. It's, um, it is a transition year and it is, it has not been. It's not been pretty. I, I, the Saints have strong are strong enough with the staff to not suddenly sink to the very bottom, um, but I don't I don't think they're so strong that they're going to be 
you know, 10 and 7 or something. I, I can't. I mean, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I just don't see any way that that happens. Well, all I can tell you is this. See, I'm more glass half full. You're a little more, uh, you know, you, you look at the world. I'm more, part. this is hey. a glass of water. That's all. I just, I just look at it. That's Listen. all it is. <laughs> hey, all I can tell you is this. You have the former number one pick who's talented enough to be the number one pick. We watched Drew Brees for a decade, for the most part, make chicken salad out of chicken poop. And who? Well, the greatest receiver in Saints history was a seventh-round pick, correct? The Saints drafted a seventh-round little-known receiver this year. I'm just saying, that's a positive, Scott. You just you sound you sound like my boy James Butler. You just that that, that fan <laughs> in you grasping. No, I I maybe you know what? Maybe this negativity just comes from me being a Mets fan because holy cow, man! We, I mean, you, the Met the Mets. God bless the Mets owner Steve Cohen, and I really do like. I'm really glad he's the owner. But I love that he gets on Twitter and he's just like he's oh, like God, a fan. Yeah. He's like, you don't go on Twitter and talk to Mets fans and say, look, let's maybe be positive. You know, maybe maybe this is when it all you, turns no. around. Then you get swept by the gutless Phillies and you score five whole runs over the weekend. You know, whenever the team is starting to implode and you're the owner and you go to social media and you're like, let's just be positive. I God bless him, man. That's just that's not that's just not what Mets fans do. That's just it's it's not it's not our program. It's not our fault, you know. It's just years of of being a fan of this team. It's New York. It's not Mets. It's but New like York. what 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 team right now is trending downward the most? A team that like I'm not talking about the Cubs or a team that's already just kind of given up on the year. But what team that has playoff aspirations and currently hopes is just trending down the most. And what to say the New York Mets, if that's what you believe. Listen, I'll, 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 unfortunately, I know a little more than I probably should about the Mets. A couple things happen. Number one, you were anticipating a giant in general pitching staff. You envisioned a 100-mile-an-hour number one starter coming back from Tommy John. Noah Syndergaard should be back by now. So you couldn't anticipate that going completely sideways. Jacob DeGrom, you know, it's a little thing here. It's a little thing there. Now it's September, Scott. You know, that's a concern. Taiwan Walker was your fourth starter. The problem with Taiwan Walker is this. You know, he was was an all-star in the first half. His last seven starts, his ERA is over seven. Get this. Do you know in the last three years combined, he has 68 innings of major league pitching because of injuries? 68 in three years. We've well, at 120 innings right now. He hit the wall. It just is what it is. Then you had a bright starter in Peterson, a good young pitcher. Well, he's out. So the bottom line is you got one guy, Marcus Stroman, that should be healthy and good in your rotation right now. And honestly, there's some guys underperforming on offense. But then, look, Lindor, tell me if I'm wrong here. Does it seem like the first year after the mega deal on, in a new city, that guy struggled? To me, between the I think I think I think it's yes, but I just think there's all there's automatically a a barometer that's set that is in most cases on in most cases unreachable unreachable. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like you just it takes a little while. It takes a little while to kind of settle in and for the fans to finally be like, okay. But that first season, it's like they're not they. they, 
they're, they're not going to be what you think they are. Like, you know, you sign this giant contract. It's like, oh, they're going to they're gonna break Ted Williams' record. No, they're not. I mean, come on, relax, everybody. Right. So I'll give you two quick examples that we all know about. May Machado signs a $300 million deal. He goes to the Mets, the Dodgers in a trade, does great. Signs with the Padres, hits 25 points under his career average. You got Bryce Harper, signs the mega deal. He goes to the Phillies. He's in the same division, same everything. He has 20 points under his career average. Guys play with pressure that first year, then I think they settle in. Well, there goes Lindor. Then you trade for Javi Baez. Well, unfortunately for the Mets, now Baez is hurt. And Baez, by the way, is the one guy that got traded for at the star that hasn't done anything, which, that, you know, that's the Mets' luck. Rizzo's been great. Dude, the Braves are playing great. You want to, The dude the Braves have traded for, it's like somebody gave him a needle. Yeah, but, imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of needle? Just, that's what I'm just saying. You got Jorge Solar, who's a, who hit 47 home runs. He's playing for Kansas City. He's hitting 190. He gets traded to the Braves. Everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh, his approach is different, blah, blah, blah. Jorge Solar is a right-handed hitter hitting in front of Freddie Freeman, the MVP. The guy hitting behind Freeman, has Riley, has more RBI since the All-Star break than anybody in baseball. Right. So you know what happens to Jorge Solar? Everybody pitches to him. Because you don't pick to the other two guys. You pick your point. Now, Bar's in 360. There, there's method to these madnesses. And it's just, yeah, the Mets are trending downward. And, Scott, I'm sorry. If something doesn't happen healthy with the Grom, I don't think it's a trend. I think the Mets end up under 500. <laughs> you make me cry on a Monday morning. It's harsh reality. Well, look, they'll, they'll, pro- they'll, they'll probably, hope. look, they're gonna, they'll probably be under 500 like, in like four days. Um, with that, <laughs> Brad Topham hosts the Top's Take, our guest. Uh, well, when they pull the rug out from under you, it can happen fast. All right, before I let you run, yeah. we talked mainly Michael Thomas, little baseball. Um, LSU and UL, fall camp. What in your mind, let's start with LSU. Other than Max Johnson, what is the, the biggest intrigue story for you? What are you most curious about when it comes to the Tigers, and uh, what can develop here over the next few weeks as it pertains to the upcoming season? Offensive line. I think it's the most undersold story out there. How do you go from winning? Your coach leads you to the Moore Award for the best offensive line in college football, that 800-pound trophy, to getting let go. How did the offensive line go from great to a dog when all those guys were in the system? They had gotten some playing time. In fact, you got Ed Ingram back, the, fre- the freshman starter, because of his legal troubles. He's back, and he doesn't play. I mean, what happened to that O-line? Deculus is out. He's a transfer because of disciplinary reasons. But the other four guys are back. Dare Rosenthal's I think that's gone. The most- yeah, he, he yeah. started, too. You know, I mean, it's... That's it. So he's gone. Everybody, But the guy behind him got three starts last year because of Rosenthal's troubles. My point is, that offensive line last year struggled. Max Johnson, we talk about the injury. Do not undersell Cole Taylor. Tiger, um, Tiger, listen to me. Jack Besh, the All-American receiver from St. Thomas More, is getting reps at number two tight end. Scott, what? the kid's 220. He's strong. He's 220. Tight end they in, don't the, have in the SEC? <laughs> yes. Because, now, it's probably going to be a detached tight end, but they, and they're going to call him an H-back. Sure. But the reality is, behind Cole Taylor, they don't have much. He's not. So I mean, he's not that, that big. Of, like, he... And, and, and he look, a he's a great kid. Receiver, right, right, right. I'm talking but like SEC not, tight not end slash H back. You know what I mean? Like, 
Right. Uh, look, your last name's you your can... last name's Betch. You're going to play at LSU and you're going to play well. I mean, that's, that's Listen, what I'm telling you right now. Us. That kid's going to play, Scott, because the kid catches everything that comes near his hands. That's number one. He is Justin Jefferson remade, but more celebrated out of high school. He can block outside guys. He can block outside linebacker safeties. That dude ain't blocking a defensive end. No. That's so. I'm worried about the offensive line. They have got to be five guys who can handle six rushers. Otherwise, LSU is in trouble. So that, for me, is the best, the biggest thing. Now, ESPN fourteen twenty. I'm Scott Prather. That's Brad, Brad Toppe. I'm catching him at two o'clock today. Top stake. On the other side of it, UL fall camp. Um, what's the storyline for you? Number one on the list. Number one on the list is you have a chance to be explosive because I'm not worried about the running backs. That's not number one on my list. I am not worried at all. You got home run hitters. You got play, you got, you got options out the wazoo. I don't think any of them run for a thousand yards. Chris Smith. I is, Chris see Smith that. is awesome. That guy. He's, I'm just he's a home run hitter. He's an NFL he's running back. Awesome. He's got that speed. Yeah. But there's other guys as a kid that transfer in from A&M who is a beast who can catch the ball, who's a good pass blocker. We'll see how that works. But for me, it's the wide receiver core has the potential to be elite. When have you ever said that about UL and partnered that with a quarterback that could get them the ball and have an offensive line that could stand up to where he could get them the ball? There are some guys on that team, guys like Kyron Lacey. I mean, seriously, they have a chance to go out and be dominant. And if the reason I'm excited about them is you have guys, you have that other teams have to respect going deep to allow slot receivers like Peter LeBlanc to just, I won't be shocked if he has a couple of Brandon Stokely games, nine catches, 160 yards. They have to dump other guys. That's where my thing is. LSU, I'm scared about their offensive line. UL, I'm excited about the possibility that the receiving core could be the best receiving core in UL history with the fact that you have a quarterback who can give them the ball. They're all there. You've got the coach. Everything's in their favor to be great. And I guess for so for me, it's not a negative. It's more of an exciting. And I think that core is the difference between 10 and 2 and maybe something magical. I, it's, it's definite. Like, wide receiver in general is, I'm with you. It's like the most interesting storyline to me in camp. And hearing Tim Leger, the uh, co-office coordinator, wide receivers coach last week, say, yeah, you know, we got 16 guys that all can play, that all have experience, that – you know, we're going to have to see who gets to travel, who's going to be starting. There's a lot on that depth chart that is um, – I my thing is, like, I UL's always seem to, like, have, like, the top dog at the receiver position. Right. I mean, Absolutely. Jamarcus Bradley, um, Jamal Robinson before that. I mean, I, I could go back to Fred Stamps and then Stokely. And we, you know, we, we could go back. And I'm sure you could find a year here or there where it's like, eh. I'm just thinking in general, when I think about different sort of eras of UL football, I'm like, well, that guy was like the top guy. And this guy was pretty good, too. You right. know, like, no, n- nothing against the guys that, you know, played along with, with Jamarcus Bradley. But, you know, for four years, I felt like he was the best receiver on the roster, especially when Robinson was gone. Then you've got, you mentioned Kyron Lacey. I mean, my boy Detillier loves Kyron Lacey. I mean, he's been talking him up. Feels like he could play for any school in the country. You've got transfers like Jacob Capote from A&M or John Stevens Jr. from TCU, who's you know gotten a ton of talk. Golden Ek from you know the track star at Oklahoma. Coach Napier mentioned him by yep. name when I talked to him at Sunbelt Conference Media Day. 
I, I you know, Errol Rodgers, you mentioned Peter LeBlanc, Dante Fleming, uh, Dylan Combray got time last year. Jalen Williams, you talk about a veteran. I mean, you know, I think his teammates call him grandpa, but this this uh, Jamal Bell, uh, he's a senior, right? Got hurt last year. Coach right. Coach Napier talking him up when we visited with Napier last week, saying, look, he's he's getting back there. There's Devin Pauley's got time in there. He's I, there, there are guys I haven't even mentioned here um, that can all play. My question is, you know, who's going to separate themselves from the group and be the guy? Or is it going to feel like the way that the Cajun, you know, running back field is felt? Because even, you know, as great as Regis was and as great as Kale was, do you feel like Mitchell always felt like he was kind of like it might be one A, one B, one C, but Mitchell kind of felt like one A. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, like I always felt like when you needed to play, Mitchell got the ball. I right. Just, I felt like there was a yeah. I'm with you. Who was that guy? Who's the one ago, I felt like it was going to be Peter. Right. I thought it was going to be Peter last year and this year. It was to some degree. Now I guess is what I'm saying is third and six, right? Third and two. You, I agree with you. Mitchell is in. He gets the ball. Third and six, who's the guy? Who's got the slant? Who's got the out? Who's got the uh, option route? Who's the guy on third and six that the Cajuns go to? And, Scott, there's actually more than one person that it could be. And for me, that's exciting. ESPN4.com. Brad Topham has been our guest. Catch him on Top's Take. Last question, did you get to watch all the fame speeches? Yes, I did. I watched a few of them. Um, funny moment that I love, Charles Woodson. You better stand up and keep standing. That was so funny he was when he great. yelled at him. I didn't tell you to sit down. Stand up. He that was, was awesome. He was great. And Isaac Bruce, seriously. I'm going to go in the middle of time, but I like Isaac Bruce. I actually really liked from making a societal point without going too deep or too negative, coming out of Edge and James. And I'm sorry. Uh, dude, Peyton Manning delivered. Seriously. I'm just still in shock that this is, the, this is that dry, boring – Walking around with that bad neck, dude that looks like he never got excited a day in his life, is just absolutely funny. Peyton Manning delivered, and that was hard for him to deliver. Yeah, so that was kind of my three things. I loved it. His bust, he, 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 his bust, they made him look angry. Um, but they have to, like, sit there and pose for a while. Like, Calvin Johnson said, like, he had to, like, be serious. He was just trying to concentrate so he didn't move his face much. And then you look at the bust, you're like, yeah, he just looks like he's focusing really hard on something. Um, no, Calvin Johnson looks like he could. St- he's he's ready to play football. Did you see that cat in the suit? Beast, man. Seriously, the beast. Calvin Johnson looks like he's ready to go out and ball today. Yeah, but he. You ask him that, he's like, "No, nah, my body can't do it." It would. You oh know. no, you. He, your, his speech told you everything. He, if anybody wanted to know why Calvin Johnson retired after only eight years, his speech told you everything by the people he thanked. That's right. That's right. All right. Before I let you go, uh, for everybody that missed it. This is just the one clip from Isaac Bruce. He just had a message to somebody from, um, I don't know, 27 years ago. To the, to the nameless voice that called me two weeks before the draft in 1994 to let me know that the NFL wasn't checking for me. They didn't like me. They like, they like more of NFL legend, legend Bertie Manuel and Ryan Yabara. I know you're alive. I know you're listening. I pray God keep you alive for this day. <laughs> so, my message to you is, rap legend Kumo D wanted me to ask you how you like me now. 
Yes, sir. That was that was great. You see, I I never uh-huh. liked Isaac Bruce just because he played for the Rams and they were in the Saints division, and he was so good. I mean, but I mean, I always respected him. And then after that speech, I was just like, you know what? I, I had to stand up and give a little little golf clap myself after watching that one. That was great. Hey, there's nothing better than greatness. That's petty. I'm sorry. This look, hatred is a bad thing. Sports hatred is a good thing. Sports petty. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Seriously, that was that was really good. And, Scott, come on, man. You know you started hearing the music in the background, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know you started hearing that music I did. in your head. That's the part I love. I did. It was great, man. Oh, yeah. Top, appreciate it. Uh, catch Brad Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Fridays at 2 p.m. on these airways with Top's Take. Go uh, head to the Jambalaya shop, get some delicious food, need something catered, just need some lunch or dinner, whatever it might be. They're going to set you up as uh, he's been visiting with us this morning for a segment while he's preparing the food for the day. All the best, Top. I'll see you soon, my friend. Thank you, brother. Thank you. How you like me now? Awesome. ESPN1420.com. Saints trying out uh, some players today at a specific position that everybody thought was kind of set. Huh? Give you the details on that. We'll circle back to Michael Thomas. Open up phone lines at 269-1077. It's the Great Scott Show. Great sports college open think tank. Don't go anywhere. ESPN 1420, welcome back into the Great Scott Show. 42 after the hour, 267 phone lines are open for you. A weekend with the Hall of Fame, a weekend with college fall camps continuing for the Cajuns and Tigers, a weekend with a legend, an absolute, undeniable legend of football passing away. Bobby Bowden, rest in peace. He got to Florida State in 1976. They went 5-6 and six that year. They weren't a good program. Had never been a good program. He went 5-6 and six his first year, and they never had a losing season again under Bobby Bowden. They had 14 consecutive years with 10 or more wins. They never finished outside of the top five, and during that stretch, they won 11 bowl national titles, and Bowden, again, feels like always felt like a character out of a novel or a TV show or something. It's like, is this guy real? He's real. And he was great. 91 years old. Prayers out to the, uh, the Bowden family. ESPN 1420. The Saints are trying out kickers today. Kickers. Like, What? Oh, it's just due diligence, you know. Will Lutz has been there. Will Lutz had an injury not too long ago. Will Lutz did not have the automatic season that you had expected. Giving him competition isn't a bad thing, but by his standards, he had a down year, and we've seen, I, you know, and maybe maybe he did get hurt or something. 
Oh, it's camp, Scott. They bring in all kind of people. You say that. Look, you got 90 able bodies in training camp, and when you have solidified, you're usually not bringing in a bunch whenever you're already a weekend to try out to see if they're worthy of getting a spot and knocking someone else out of there off the 90 man. When your kicker position is solidified and you've got a healthy guy, you might have two on your roster for the preseason, but not more than that. Now they're going to go out there and they're going to bring in some more kickers and they're trying guys out. Is that the what now? Didn't expect that to happen today. Perhaps more to come in regards to that story. So what's the next step with Michael Thomas? What's the next step? He breaks his social media silence. Hasn't hadn't, hadn't tweeted anything since like June 8th. I think he, he tweeted a reply to someone. Or retweeted something maybe on June 8th. Now, you've got a morning when you wake up. The weekend after Jeff Duncan drops an article over at the Times-Picayune about Mike Thomas ghosting Sean Payton, a Saints trainer, and Curtis Johnson, Saints wide receivers coach, when they tried to follow up with him to see if he had got his second opinion regarding whether his ankle could heal on its own with rehabilitation or he, in fact, needed surgery. He ghosted him, never called the never called him back, reportedly did not get a second opinion, showed up to um, OTAs in June. They looked at the ankle. They're like, yeah, you need surgery. So could have done this earlier if you'd gotten that second opinion. Now you're going to not be ready for the start of the season. That's a very Cliff's Notes version of what unfolded. Per Duncan. Thomas tweets out, they tried to damage your reputation. You saved theirs by not telling your side of the story. Oh, boy. Drama. I wish the Saints were on hard knocks. Give me, give me some insight into this. HBO could run with this. Instead, we're just going to get the Cowboys. We're only going to talk about themselves and how great they are in the weak NFC East. I'll still watch it. It's Hard Knocks. I got to watch it. Only year I didn't watch Hard Knocks was when it was the Falcons. That's the only year. I'll still watch it. Cowboys were on it many years ago. They'll be on it again. Okay, great. How about them Cowboys? How about Jerry making sure everyone saw him when Jimmy Johnson was inducted? Making sure he came out and said a lot of stuff about Jimmy and his regrets and, you know, wished that someday Jimmy Johnson will get into the Cowboys' ring of honor. He says that days before the man's being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Jerry just got to get in the headlines and make it about himself. But I digress. Enough about the Cowboys. What about the Saints? What about Michael Thomas? What do they do now? There is a potential out in the five-year mega extension he signed. So he signed the, the extension before the 2019 season, but he had a year left on his rookie deal. But he still got a ton of money that year because of the $20 million signing bonus. He got 35.6 mil guaranteed at the signing bonus of his 2019 and 2020 salary, plus 3 million of his 2021 salary, all right there. Here we are entering 2021, and if the Saints were to either cut or trade Michael Thomas, it would cost them an extra $22.5 million. Right there. 
on the cap. I don't need to tell you guys, Saints don't exactly have the most cap space. Back in March, he converted 11.61 mil of his 2021 salary into a bonus. That cleared 8.7 mil in cap space. Back in March, when I guess his agent was returning calls to the Saints, but not him apparently. All of that is to say this, guys. If Thomas doesn't play for the Saints this year, then he won't be playing for anyone. They're going to try to mend fences. He'll probably come back after the bye week. He'll be asked about it. They'll all say, we're just trying to move past things, just want to play ball, blah, blah, blah. And then if the team isn't incredibly horrible, hopefully there's no implosions within the locker room. And then next offseason, they will likely move on. Oh, they'll trade him. Yeah, if every team's expecting him to be released, probably not. I don't know how many more games you get of Michael Thomas. You might not get any. But even if he wants to be traded right now, it's going to be awfully, awfully difficult. Emails. You can email me, scott at ESPN1420.com. You can tweet the show as well, at ESPN1420. That's the handle. Got plenty of uh, tweets coming in. This one from Michael. Scott, who do you think the Saints starting receivers are week one against Green Bay? Michael, that's a great question. Um Mar- Marquez Callaway apparently is going to be one of the starters. I would say, I mean, I mean, Traquan Smith's getting hurt. Honestly, like Deontay Harris, well, he might be suspended. And he he's more of like a change of pace type receiver that you hope. And and he might get suspended by the NFL because he, he had a, a DUI in the offseason. I, Mark Marquez Callaway? He'll be starting in Michael Thomas's spot. I mean, you honestly might get. I if 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 you were a, if you were an optimistic Saints fan, when I tell you that your starters week one will either be Marquez Callaway and Traquan Swift, or Marquez Callaway and Chris Hogan, or Marquez Callaway and Tommy Lee Lewis. Is, is it starting to really hit you just uh, ooh, ooh. not too good tomorrow Jay Walker will join me in the eight o'clock hour we'll dig more into Rage Cajun fall camp the upcoming college football season among other things this morning I wanted to take a deeper look into who was going to be uh, on the 2022 Pro Football Hall of Fame ballot for the first time. Ran out of time, weren't able to do that this morning, but we'll do more of that tomorrow as well. Working on a couple of other guests. In the meantime, Greeny's coming up next on ESPN 1420. Got plenty more on the Hall of Fame, among other things. You don't want to miss that. Top's take coming up at 2 o'clock this afternoon, followed by the lock-in. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Big thanks to Brad Topham for coming on the show. To the callers, listeners, you guys are awesome. I will uh, talk to you guys tomorrow morning, bright and early. Make it a great Monday. CSPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. I'm Scott Prather.